Hello, and welcome to another EAST Career Podcast, brought to you by the EAST Career Development Committee. My name is Rob Bame from the Guthrie Clinic in Sarah, Pennsylvania. In this session, we will be talking with this year's Orange Essay winners and listening to their award-winning essays. This may be a very, very helpful to anyone considering a career in trauma or not yet sure if trauma is quite the right fit for them yet. It is uh, great to hear why people go into trauma. This year's winners are Dr. Christopher Ferran and Dr. Lourdes Sintek. The ORINS program was created back in 2010 by Dr. Bill Chu. ORINS is a Latin word meaning east or rising sun, and this word perfectly captures not only the essence of our organization, but it also reflects the value east places on the young surgeons who will soon rise up and become the new leaders in trauma surgery. The Orange Award is an annual essay competition open to residents and fellows who submit a one-page essay on the topic, This is Why I Want a Career in Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Essays are reviewed and scored by the East Careers Committee, and two winners are selected, one resident and one fellow. The winners are announced at the East Scientific Assembly during the Orange Awards session. This session also features a keynote speaker who is always a giant in the trauma community. 2018 was no exception, as the keynote speaker was uh, Dr. Wayne Meredith. In addition to the keynote address, the winners are invited to read their essays. This is always a great chance for the members of the audience to be reminded of the excitement and intrigue that initially drew us into this remarkable career. It is easy for anyone to get engulfed in the various aspects of a career and potentially forget the initial motivation that brought us here. One of the founding principles of EAST as an organization was to create a place for young surgeons to thrive and grow through mentorship and fostering of relationships. This is a unique strength of our organization, and I think this exposure to mentors and mentees really helps to keep everyone in the mindset of a young, new surgeon, someone who's excited to learn and wants to make things better. The Orange Award session is a perfect complement to the scientific sessions at our annual meeting. We get to celebrate awesome science, followed by celebrating the honor of having the greatest job in the world. This session has become so popular that we decided to ask the authors to read the essays as a career cast so anyone not at the Orange Award session would have an opportunity to hear the essays and potentially recharge their passion for this job. So, I am excited to have these two physicians with us today, not only to share their essays, but share a bit about their journey and how they got to where they are today. So, let's get started. Our, our first winner is the author of the resident winning essay, who is Dr. Christopher Foran. Dr. Foran is a, currently a fourth-year resident at L.A. County. Prior to residency, he completed his undergrad studies at Temple University, followed by medical school at Jefferson Medical School. Once his training is complete, he is planning to serve in the United States Navy, and we are all very thankful for his service. So, Dr. Foran, thank you so much for being here with us today, and uh, how about we just start off by having you read your essay for us? Thank you. It's a pleasure. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, 
rage against the dying of the light. This poem by Dylan Thomas evoked a carnival of emotions in me the first time I read it. Feelings of loss and exhaustion with a glimmer of hope. The poem speaks specifically to a father's impending blindness and generally to the death approaching each of us steadily and unceasingly. But more than that, it is a battle cry for the futile. It implores us to fight the unwinnable fight, with the fight itself necessarily its own reward. It is at this crossing of futility and hope, found so commonly in the trauma bay, that I hear Thomas's words speak most poignantly and find my purpose. I was not born to be a doctor, much less a surgeon. I do not come from a family of physicians. As a child, I cannot claim to have been even an average student. I was not fascinated with biology, anatomy, or biochemistry. I never had a moment of epiphany or the intercession of providence determine my future. Mine is not a story of certainty or destiny, but of a curious uncertainty innate to my constitution. Seeking answers as a young person, I was fortunate enough to travel the country and the world, seeing evidence of the very worst and the very best of humanity. The most beautiful stories came from people whose grandest thrusts were aimed at the most futile of causes. A teenage boy in Honduras risking his life by declining to act as a drug mule in one of the busiest drug corridors in the world. A male bystander caught in a riot in Oaxaca, Mexico, risking assault by the mob to plead for the life of a beaten stranger. A foster mother in North Philadelphia, accepting her 30th foster child, despite seeing the neighborhood around her succumb to violence and crime. A refugee in Thailand, recently escaped from unlawful imprisonment in Burma, who refused to sign a false confession despite weeks of barbaric torture. Or a man in Haiti, working tirelessly to run a clinic for his neighbors, despite living in unimaginable squalor himself. The moments that stayed with me, changed me, and set me on my current path all shared the common theme of individual people fighting small battles and wars they could not hope to win. They did not fight these battles for fortune or glory. They fought these battles for the hope that their choice would bring about in some small way, greater beauty, clearer truth, and stronger love. I found that this strange, senseless hope is what makes us human and unique to all other life on earth. This hope, I believe, is the light which Thomas speaks of in his poem. The trauma surgeon fights the most futile battle of all, the battle of life over violent death. Death always wins out in the end. We cut, ligate, patch, sew, reconstruct, scratch, and claw to give the strangers in front of us a few more seconds of life. And if we do our jobs well, a few more years of life. But even years are the blink of an eye in the cosmic tale, a whisper in the blare of time. Life, that which we nominally fight for, will inevitably end for each of our patients. So why choose this taxing profession? The answer lies in examining what life truly is. 
Life is not a sum of the factors which we as surgeons can control and whose cessation we use to define death. A beating heart, ventilated lungs, profuse tissue, or a functioning brain. Life is not an acid-base status or an INR. But neither is life, once preserved by medical parameters, a guarantee of anything. Life is a chance. Life is a hope. The hope that we may each find what I must believe we all seek. Freedom, beauty, truth, and love. At its core, life is the same hope that informed the nobility of the people who have changed my life. I choose to be a trauma and acute care surgeon so that I may fight for that hope, the same seemingly senseless hope that defines our humanity, in moments when it has been so suddenly and violently extinguished for my patients. I choose this career so that I may also share in the nobility of the people I've admired most in my life. Thank you. That's excellent, man. Thank you so much. I, I tell you, I love how you describe the struggle. And I think, I mean, I think trauma surgeons are placed in a very special, unique position. We have this opportunity to help people through just the worst times of their lives. And like you said, sometimes we can fix them and sometimes we can't. It's really interesting how, gosh, both outcomes have a huge positive impact on a family. Every one of us have been up all day, all night, the whole next day, with a patient resuscitating, operating, doing procedures, looking up data, updating a family, working so hard for somebody. Oh, and then we have to go tell the family that, like you said, we lost. And that meeting is hard. Everyone's exhausted, both physically and mentally. And even though you just gave the family the worst news they ever heard, they all hug you and comfort you because they saw how much of you, you put yourself into their loved one. That's That's huge. And that trauma surgeon forever remembered. I mean, man, that happened to me just this morning. I was at a funeral for somebody else, and I ran into a lady whose husband died eight years ago under my care, and she thanked me and hugged me, and it was it's a remarkable thing. And I really think, Chris, I think you captured the essence of this so well, and this is such an important part of our job. So thank you so much for doing that. I thought it was a great essay. Thank you very um, much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'd like to take a few minutes to ask you a few more questions. Uh, you kind of went into it in your essay, but how did you really kind of get got interested in trauma and got exposed to it and got on the track you are now? Sure. Uh, well, when I was uh, in undergrad at Temple, I became an EMT, um, was a bike EMT, and was made fun of by everyone on campus. You're riding around on your bike with your big packs, <laughs> but it was a ton of fun. And that kind of exposed me to the medical field in general, uh, kind of set me on my path for knowing that I wanted some sort of career in medicine. And I, at that time, thought that uh, I wanted to do emergency medicine. And, you know, those are kind of the specifics which got me to the specific track of medicine. But what I speak to in the, the essay is this idea that certain things happen to us in life, and those those moments evoke emotions, and those emotions don't necessarily manifest themselves in thoughts or an ethos uh, the moment we have them. They take time and they take kind of corroborating feelings and experiences to fully form. And so the the experiences I put in the essay and some that I was not able to get in the essay 
I, I had these emotions when I when I saw them, when I experienced them. And over time, I realized that those emotions and the reason I felt them were, again, this idea that these people would experience uh, or risk or or try these these uh, these things in a in an attempt to win something that humans have yet to win as a as a species, but they themselves, this one person, would try their very best to fight it in that moment. And I found something very you know, romantic and uh, kind of beautiful about that. And, you know, through the years, as my interests in specific fields grew, I never lost that feeling that the point of, I think, anyone's life, uh, not just a surgeon or a doctor, is figuring out what is it that can feed these feelings inside you for the things that you find most noble. And uh, so... Kind of fast forward as I um, went through medical school, Dr. Jay Janoff and uh, Dr. Alec Beakley kind of got me interested in surgery. And I, you know, I was in the Navy at that time, and I went out to San Diego. And Dr. Mike Seiss kind of got me interested in going into trauma. Uh, but the the philosophy behind that decision uh, remained true to these emotions that I had felt previously, and this idea that. You know, maybe my little war that I would fight, my, me myself, would be this uh, this kind of plague on humanity, which is violence, our our ability to harm one another in such terrible ways. And I felt that trauma surgery, uh, you know, after years of thinking about it and seeing things and et cetera, trauma surgery was my way of fighting my own little war against violence, against this kind of the worst of human nature. So that's kind of philosophically how I came to the decision to to go into trauma surgery. And in military medicine, same idea. Yeah. Yeah. I tell when I was in uh gosh, medical school, I remember surgeons being kind of looked at maybe this is my impression, but looked at as as people without emotion. You just go do a thing and it's having emotion was almost a uh like a weakness. And I think that that's changing, and I'd love to hear how your your you know your love for this and the, it's all this the, the you find all the emotion and the beauty and all these things and what you're about to do, and it's not just a um, a mechanical thing you're doing, just doing surgery and being done. You are really involved emotionally. I think that's a great quality. It's really great to hear it. I loved it. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. I, I think it, if you're going to have passion about something, you you can't you can't remove the emotion of of what you're doing. I think you're absolutely right. I think as I went through residency, I met these surgeons who didn't fit that motif that I originally thought was this non-emotional person. And it was those surgeons that had the passion and the love and the excitement who were my favorite and the people that I wanted to become like. So it's, that's great. Um, so if you uh, – someone, what would you tell somebody? Who's maybe thinking about doing a, a trauma fellowship or going into trauma? What would you would tell somebody as some advice or uh, some guidance? Sure. I mean, I think from the outset, um, I think you have to learn to listen to that that voice in you, the the things you experience that evoke that emotion, and do your best to be introspective and figure out what. What did this voice come from? What did this emotion stem from? What is the the root of it? And after 
you kind of learn to listen to that, uh, decide what is it in your rotations and in your interactions with patients and attendings and the system that you're in, what is it that emo- evokes that emotion the most? Um, and that's kind of the the philosophical side of it. I think practically speaking, I would tell somebody that uh, if you would like to go into trauma critical care, you really need to think of yourself as an intensivist first. I don't know very many residents in my program that don't enjoy scrubbing trauma cases. They're fun, they're exciting, but that's not your career. Your career is going to be part trauma but part running an ICU um, and taking care of very sick patients. So if that part does not excite you and get you up out of bed in the morning, then maybe this is not the best, you know, field for you to go into. All right. I think that's great advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, uh, it's been my now, pleasure. Thank you. We're going to continue on with our fellow winning essay from Dr. Lourdes uh, Svendek. She is a fellow at UC Irvine who completed her general surgery training at Loma Linda at the uh, IE that's probably right. Prior to general surgery training, she completed medical school at Loyola University, and we're very happy to have her here with us. So thanks so much for being with us today. And uh, Thank if you. you wouldn't mind, we'd love hearing your essay. Of course. Uh, okay, so um, beep, 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 beep. My 3 a.m. wake-up call comes in the form of a loud, obnoxious series of beeps. I check the pager. Trauma level A. 38-year-old male, multiple GSWs, ETA, eight minutes. My adrenaline kicks in, my heart starts to race, and I run down to the trauma bay. We gown up, and we wait in silence for what feels like a lifetime. The excitement in the bay is palpable. He comes in screaming profanities and punching the EMS providers as four of them were bringing them down with their full weight. As he's moved to the trauma bay, the screaming stops. There was an eerie silence. The patient has no pulses. When I quickly survey this patient, he has multiple wounds to his chest, his arm, and his abdomen. My first thought, he can't survive this. My second, more disturbing thought, when I first encountered this man punching me out of the way, I can see why he was shot. The trauma technician scurry, grabbing airway intubation kits, chest tubes, and the thoracotomy tray. The trauma orchestra begins, and all I can focus on is my knife entering his chest. I release his tense pericardium, and my finger plugs the gushing hole in his ventricle. His pulses spring back to life. All around me, people were playing their uh, orchestra instruments. A chest tube goes into his right chest. His endotracheal tube is being secured and central axis is being secured into his right femoral. Blood is being poured in, and his blood pressure is barely hanging on. We arrive to the operating room with a stream of blood trailing us from behind. We start in his chest while the vascular team came to assist us with his transected brachial artery. Each bite I took, I am feeling the energy of his beating heart onto my fingers, causing them to tremble slightly. We open his abdomen to find several enterotomies that we stapled off. His his incision is oozing. I know we need to leave. We package him up for his next trip to the intensive care unit. Taylor Bentley Doe is not an upstanding citizen. 
He is covered from head to toe in tattoos, and he was not minding his own business when he came into the trauma bay. He was shot five times and screaming profanities while entering the, into the hospital. He spent four weeks on my service for various complications, a prolonged ileus, an intra-abdominal abscess, pericarditis, and severe deconditioning. I saw him every single day for a month, more than I had seen my husband that same month. He was not the man I met in the trauma bay. He was polite and appreciative and kind. Over the course of his stay, I learned that he had a wife and two kids. I would frequently find him coloring SpongeBob pictures, which I initially thought was some strange form of hospital-prescribed color therapy. Later, I learned he was sending those pictures to his son to remind his son that his dad was going to be okay and that he was going to be coming home. Every time I saw my patient, I'd be taken back to his trauma resuscitation. It was challenging and fast and amazing, and it kept my adrenaline up for days. It also made me change how I thought about trauma in general. I had a pessimistic view of trauma in the beginning months of my rotation. My patients are all drug addicts, homeless, gang members, or drunks who will keep coming back to the trauma bay with more gunshot wounds or drunk car crashes. My patient was a gang member and also happened to be on drugs, but he was also a good father, a husband, and a son. He deserved a doctor who would take care of him and ignore his cloudy past. He deserved to be cared for just like every other patient. The story doesn't end with his final discharge home. It ends with a nice twist. Fast forward two weeks later, and I find myself at the CVS pharmacy at my hospital. As I turn the corner, I nearly run into him. He had gained some weight back and color to his face. His arm was still casted, and he was using a cane for support due to his deconditioning. He had two small kids holding onto him. He gave me a huge smile and a hug. He looked at his kids. Kids, this is the doctor who saved my life. Four glowing eyes stared at me with such appreciation. It didn't need the recognition or the praise, but it felt good to hear him say that. It felt even better to see him look so happy with his children. My experience with Taylor Bentley Doe as a fourth-year surgical resident changed my career path to trauma-critical care. This patient made me switch my fellowship plans completely from heading to a career in transplant to applying to a trauma-critical care fellowship. Although he was not a model citizen, he had a family who depended on him. If I ever run into him again, I will have to thank him for steering me toward a rewarding and challenging career in trauma-critical care. Awesome. Thank you. I tell you, I think it's so cool to get a glimpse into the breadth of talent that in, a, in the trauma surgery community that extends beyond science and all that stuff. You guys are such great writers and so artistic, and it's just great to hear it. When we have our uh, our our, our uh, little committees where we read all the essays and talk about them, always impressed with how good of uh, how good the writers are. I love how you compared the surgeon to to a conductor. Are you kind of standing back there and just like conducting all these people to do stuff? I think it's a great uh, comparison. And I tell you, when I was reading this for the first time, it's like I jumped into DeLorean and went back in time with a story because, I mean, I was instantly reminded of my own case that's very similar to this one. 
the anxiety, the fear, the excitement. And it's what's really neat is like it's crazy that in the whole world, the whole world at that moment, there is only one team of people who can save that person's life, and that was you. And mm-hmm. in trauma surgery, if you're not comfortable, boy, you better get comfortable quick because it's coming. No room for hesitation. You can't make an error. You got to do it right on the first try, and you got to do it as fast as you can. And that's awesome. And every surgeon in the audience listening here and listening to your uh, listening to your essay, um, we all remember every detail of our own story that's exactly like this. And if there's anybody listening to this uh, podcast who is thinking about going into trauma, they can know that they will have a story like this that will stick with them forever. So, anyways, um, thank you for your essay. That was great. And I, if I'd like to ask you kind of a couple of the same questions I uh, just asked Chris. So, again, sure. give us maybe a little background of how you got interested in trauma as a specialty. Um, that it was late in the game, <laughs> um, hence my essay. But uh, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon actually quite early, like really early, like creepy early, probably like 12 years old. Uh, I kept telling my family <laughs> – I kept telling my family that I wanted to be a surgeon, not a doctor, a surgeon, and I had no one in my family who was a doctor, so it was a little odd. Um, but it was based on, like, you know, watching television and Operation Smiles and just being like, I want to, you know, make someone smile for the rest of their life. I don't think anyone else can say that. And so I I knew that. I went full core press towards getting to that goal, and so I, like, made sure I would, you know, cross my eyes and dotted my keys and is that the opposite? Um, but then I kept getting told while I was in medical school, I think you're too nice to be a surgeon. I kept getting told that. And I was like, well, I think there's nice surgeons out there. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so I just kept going, and I went into surgery, and there was very nice trauma surgeons and other surgeons. So I did that didn't deter me. Um, and I was actually going to go into transplant, and I did uh, two years of research in transplant. And I think what I liked about transplant is that you take care of some of the sickest patients in the hospital. And so I knew I liked taking care of sick patients. And I knew I liked having, like, the adrenaline of a bad case or a very difficult case. Um, But I also found out in residency that I liked the smaller cases and the less challenging cases. And it was this, this patient, honestly, was kind of changed my mind of how I I looked at trauma and how I thought about the patients in general. And I thought it was such a privilege that we kind of assume consent for them. They're not able to decide whether or not I'll be their surgeon. I become their surgeon because I've decided for them. And I think that's just a, a huge responsibility and something that I, you know, kind of loved about it. And I kind of switched gears and now I'm here. That's great. I think it's very cool that both of you both had this. Uh, um, maybe not. Uh, maybe not Chris. I can't remember. But it had this. Like you're too nice to be a surgeon, right? Or like I was saying, Chris, before people, I had this sense that surgeons can't be emotional, and you guys are showing that's not true. And I think that's so great. And I had a similar experience too, Loris, when I was going through that. You're too nice, and that's nonsense. Yeah. You can be nice to be a surgeon, right? It's great. <laughs> I think it's better right. that way. <laughs> I think you're right. People appreciate it. So that's great. How about uh so you were 
going into this pretty late. So as mm-hmm. even as a a late bloomer, I guess, into this decision, did you have any mentors that uh, may have been important in this decision or helped you along this career path? Um, you know, the entire trauma department at um, Loma Linda are fantastic, and they were all, you know, you know, we'll talk to you if you want to hear about it. We all love it. And just seeing the how much they actually love their job and the camaraderie and, you know, it's just when you see surgeons that are happy with what they're doing, you know, that's enough of a of a guidance. But I, I would say all of them were my um, sort of my mentors. Awesome. Yeah, and so then, so you, gosh, you must have gone change your mind around fourth year or something like that, it sounds like. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So then now, as you're a fellow now, has your time in fellowship, uh, fellowship changed your perspective at all and like a, a career in trauma or changed anything about you? I still love it, uh, so that's good. Uh, and for the same reasons that I loved, you know, transplant, I still love taking care, like the critical care aspect. Um you know, I love taking care of sick patients. I enjoy it. I get, you know, I feel fulfilled educationally and mentally and kind of figuring out things that are difficult as well as never knowing what's going to come around the corner. Um, walking downstairs with that adrenaline, knowing that there's a critical downstairs in the trauma bay, what is it going to be? Um, so I still right. I still very much enjoy it. How about if uh, – uh a third-year resident came up to talk to you about a trauma fellowship. What kind of advice would you give them? Uh, if they're if they're interested and they like taking care of critically ill patients and they don't mind not knowing what's going to come around the corner and not having a schedule, I think it's great. I would say go for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I tell you, this is really great. I And both of you, on behalf of the East career development committee i really want to thank you uh for taking your time to be with us today to read your essays and remind us of what an awesome job we have and just the awesome responsibility and the impact that we have on our communities and families it's it's just great so i appreciate you and i just as a reminder to any resident or fellow out there who might be listening we want to invite you to participate in the orange competition and consider submitting an essay it will open up this summer, and the deadline is October 31st. The topic, as always, is this is why I want a career in trauma and acute care surgery. If you win the competition, you get a complimentary admission to the 2019 meeting, which is going to be held in Austin, Texas, along with travel and lodging reimbursement for that meeting. And while you're there, the winners will be honored at the Orens Award session at the annual scientific assembly, and you'll be invited to read your essay. So I am Rob Bain from the Guthrie Clinic, and I really hope you enjoyed our program. Thank you so much for our, our essay winners. And uh, if anyone finds a moment of time, please feel free to visit the EAST website at www.east.org for more EAST podcasts and other valuable information. So thank you. <laughs>